Holy shit, breaking news. Daniel Smith is uh is breaking up AHS. She's doing some sweeping changes. Uh just found this out uh 10 minutes before uh scheduled to record this podcast. I had a few other things I wanted to talk about, but uh now we get to talk about that. And joining me again is Lisa the Normie. Uh Lisa Reed, how are you? Uh oh. do you mind if I call you the Normie? Well, I feel bad for anybody else that's a normie that gets attached oh, to me. Like... Yeah, you're not you're not really that normal, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, you're the closest thing to a normie I could find to keep me on the level. You know, keep me from going too far into the fringe extreme uh, areas. You you got to ground me here, Lisa. But uh, welcome to the show, Lisa. We have a lot to talk about today. Um, I just saw this right before. Just as I was preparing the podcast, I saw um, this news flash come across my my feed here saying that uh, Alberta is breaking up AHS, creating new agencies to overall overhaul healthcare. Um, what have you heard about this? What are your initial impressions? So I just caught a glimpse of the headline yesterday, and I'm like, I got to come back to that. And of course, I didn't. Um, but my first thought is what, what's the public going to think? Like, oh my goodness. Now that just opens doors for all kinds of things like privatized healthcare and, and the poor people are just going to suffer so much more because of it. And I can just hear the, the chatter in my brain about it already. Yeah. So that's where your mind goes right away is, is how this is going to be spun, uh, to, to scare the crap out of the public. Hey, absolutely. That's where you went. Yeah. I kind of went there too, but I, I, well, that was my second thought. My first thought is yes. Screw (laughs) HS. I hate HS. HS has been the bane of my existence, been the bane of my family's existence. We're a family of healthcare workers. We got uh, three paramedics, uh, a nurse in in my immediate family. And, um, you know, they, they haven't been kind to the Moen family. They just, and the last two two or three years have been uh, their unkindness on steroids. You know, they made life miserable for healthcare workers. It's no uh, coincidence that healthcare workers are streaming out of AHS and leaving for other jobs in private industry, wherever they can get work or just deciding to take an early retirement or, or switch careers altogether. It's just been a, a nightmare the last two years being a healthcare worker, working under the, the bureaucracy of a system that now had a license to um, to imp- put its thumb on us, just to jackboot all healthcare workers, and you know, f- changing rules every week. Um, it, it was never so obvious that we were objects of compliance and and not clinical practitioners uh, in the eyes of of our our bosses uh, than it has been in the past two years. Um, and so people have been leaving now, Daniel Smith has a, has a big, you know, had it, had it on her agenda to change us. And we often hear lip service from politicians and nothing ever gets done. I mean, Justin Trudeau promised all these electoral reforms and huge sweeping changes. Nothing ever happened. Uh, you know, they, they like to talk a good game, these politicians, but Daniel Smith is actually backing up, um, and, and changing it now. Is it what I would like to see? 
uh, no, I mean, I, I would like to see the legalization of healthcare. I'd like to be able to, um, to, to provide my services to consenting adults without, you know, having the government interfere and, and get involved and, um, block me from doing that. But of course that's not possible. You know, in Canada, we, we have very little private healthcare and what little there is has to jump through a lot of red tape and, um, and have to, has to report to governmental agencies like AHS. Um, and so it basically dramatically limits what you can do as a healthcare provider. So healthcare is basically illegal. I'd have preferred to see some legalization of healthcare, but Danielle Smith, um, it seems like she's creating something in that direction, right? She is, it looks like a decentralization of healthcare. So AHS isn't going away. It's, it's going to stick to acute care. It's going to get out of continuing care. It's going to get out of primary care. Um, you know, I, I was reading an article by uh, David Clemenga. I think he's a very leftist, socialist, climate activist, you know, any any bad ideas that the left has, you can guarantee that David Clemenga has them as well. He he wrote an article. I'm always curious to see what uh, what you know what the enemy is going to say about this. And, and his big uh, complaint about this is it's going to it's going to create uh, layers and layers of bureaucracy, more bureaucracy, and cost billions to do. And you know, he's not totally wrong. I mean, in one sense, it is going to create more bureaucracy. Like if, if you have, um, let's say one giant corporation, um, and that breaks up into a hundred different small corporations, mom and shop businesses, well, you're going to have uh, a manager for each one of those little corporations, right? So in a sense, you're going to have more managers and you're going to have more bureaucracy uh, by doing it- more businesses. But is it possible for them to have more managers? Like I remember it would have been in 2017 when Tani Yao printed off the AHS org chart mm. throughout the federal building and it covered like the walls from floor to ceiling. And there were managers for managers. Like it was ridiculous. Yeah. Managers were managing less than 11 people at a time. So right. how many more managers can we get? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Let's see. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, this isn't a, the, the the issue to me isn't how many managers per se. Uh, it's it's um, how are they serving the constituents, right? How are are they actually doing something useful? And you know, part of the problem when you have a giant um, one size fits all centralized. Uh, organization like AHS is that it's it's very you you the tendency is to add more and more managers more and more policies uh, to to standardize things to homogenize things to try to control the the chaos and the unknowable and it, of course it's a never ending thing because every time you implement the policy that dump tries to dump things down to the lowest common denominator it creates a whole bunch of unintended consequences that they never thought about and so they have to add more policy it's it just like uh, a never-ending uh quagmire of adding more and more policies and you might need more and more managers to manage that well um 
you know, now now we're decentralizing, and so we're we're trying to get things closer to to the the customers, right? And so so what that might look like, ideally, in my world of EMS, is decentralizing down to say the municipal level, so that a municipality controls uh, EMS because they're the one. It's we live in the communities, we serve those communities, we respond to calls in those communities. And, uh, you know, Sherwood Park might be different than downtown Calgary, which might be different than Okotoks, which might be different than Grand Prairie. They're different demographics. There's different industries. There's different healthcare needs. And so one size fits all um, doesn't really work. It, you know, so you would prefer to get and, and, you know, that might mean more. Well, instead of one boss of EMS, now you have five bosses of EMS for those smaller places, but that serves the population better because you have uh, a more responsive, that manager is now not responsive to the organization, uh, the umbrella organization, it's responsible more to the, the customers that it serves. So, so, I mean, the devil will be in the details. Um, it, you know, it doesn't look like there's going to be dramatic changes in my neck of the woods. That was my first hope. And I started looking into it and it's like, oh, AHS is still going to be, in charge of my life as a paramedic, but they're going to be getting out of continuing care. They're going to be getting out of mental health. There's, there's going to be, um, be some changes and there's going to be some wailing and gnashing of teeth from the left. And the left is going to, uh, talk about the chaos that this will create. And no doubt there will be some growing pains. I mean, we're going to have to transition from one system to another. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, right now, AHS controls a bunch of continuing care centers, and and now you're going to have, um, you know, different organizations take over those continuing care, and some will be bad, and some will be really good and exceptional, and you know, there's going to be a diversity of different um, models applied, right? And isn't that valuable? Isn't diversity our strength, Lisa? Don't we want to see that in <laughs> like a marketplace <laughs> of different things happening? So, so I think that'll be in general, a good thing. I just wish it would also, um, that there would be some diversity in acute care as well, but it looks like we're maintaining the homogeneity of acute care. Everyone's getting the same, uh, gruel, the same stale bread and the same bread lines when it comes to acute care. But, uh, when it comes to these other, other things like mental health, continuing care, those things are, um, likely going to see some improvements and there's going to be some more, more opportunity. And, um, so that's a good thing. I think, I don't know. What are your, yeah. Do you have any thoughts about, uh, I'm just really curious to see how it goes. Um, like when you're talking about extended care and that type of thing, there is now in the news about Christensen developments and how they were doing life leases on some of their retirement homes and what that looks like for those seniors for that not being legal in Alberta and then those people being at the retirement stages of their life and out hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. So I'm just wondering if, if this is going to make more opportunity for that to be happening to people at the, at a right. time when we should be taking care of them yeah. or, or not. Cause I've been in some retirement places that 
you wonder if anyone actually shows up to take care of people there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and often this is framed as a debate between, you know, the UCP just wants to privatize everything. And, um, and, and so, and, and we see how bad private is, right? Like I've worked private EMS and it sucks and the, the equipment's bad and the pay's bad and the care is substandard a lot of times. Well, but the problem is it's not really private. It's not a free market entity. Okay. It's what we're talking about is the difference between fascism and socialism. And, and, you know, on one hand we have, um, when, when the left likes to criticize or, or say that they're privatizing things, what they mean is, is they're still using government money, but they're contracting a private entity to take care of that for them. So it's not as if it's a private service in that it's attracting voluntary customers. No, they're given a, um, they're, they're giving a, um, a, a monopoly to a private organization and they're giving it to the, the organization that bids the lowest. And so it had the only way that organization now can, that private organization can make money is off the backs of patients or, or staff. Like it either, it either cuts, it has to cut costs somewhere mm -hmm. because the government's given it a set amount of money. It's not like it can make more money by attracting more customers or charging a higher fee to customers that want a premium product or something like that, that you would expect in a free market where it creates abundance. No, we've now created the worst of both worlds, right? There, we have an entity uh, that has a monopoly that, um, is profit driven that, uh, is, uh, getting, all its money from extortion through by the government. So, so I don't, you know, I'm not a big fan of, uh, of um, the fascistic model of healthcare as much as I'm not a fan of the socialist model of healthcare. I do prefer to work directly for um, if, if we're going to have government funding these things, I'd prefer to work directly for the government than a private entity being funded by the government um, it, it just seems to, to work better, you know, in terms of an end product. But what I would prefer to see altogether is just legalizing healthcare and, uh, have the government get out of it or do something like the Swedish model, at least where they've legalized healthcare and they still have a robust public system, uh, that backstops it. So how, based on what you're saying, how is that going to be any different than what, from what Danielle's proposing to do right now then well I, I don't know the devil will be in the details right so when it says ahs is no longer under and and it looks like you know based on the these the, there's some leaked slides um i'm just looking at the the org chart they're adding a a few things and i can't really see let, let's see if i can share this screen here um let's see there we go So I don't know if you can see that. Yeah, there we go. Um, but it's not advancing to the slide I want. Hmm. Oh, maybe that's the wrong one. Hold on. I need to add. Oh, there we go. So 
what we have right now. I think this is the current state minister of health. Uh, so that's the Alberta government. And you have one organization, basically one, um, one entity that the minister of health controls and that's Alberta health services. Uh, if we scroll down, this is the, the new one. Let's see if I can turn it around. We can see, see if I can zoom in here. It's really hard to see this, but yeah. So there we have uh, Minister of Health, and then we have um, an integration council. So there's there's a council that integrates all the different components of healthcare, uh, and under that you have acute care organization, you have a continuing care organization, you have a primary care organization, uh, medical health and addictions organization, and I think Alberta Health is in there. I don't know where Alberta Health is, but you can see there's there's a bunch more levels here so you're, you're going to have different organizations taking care of different things now whether that will work better or not i don't know and whether whether that implies privatization where they're going to now contract out a lot of these things i don't know i mean ahs contracts out a lot of its services already like there's there's plenty of ambulance there, there's a few ambulance services around like prairie and metavi that are private services that are contracted to alberta health um and so they're they're not private in the libertarian sense they're private in the um fascistic sense in that this is the corporation that's approved by the state and paid for paid by the state to deliver a monopoly of services in this area and you're a boy here tim can't start a competing service with them can't charge customers can't uh can't you know provide any any market um forces but uh, that's where we're at so so we'll see but breaking news and um we'll see if this is truly decentralization whether it changes culture in any way you know one of the the things we had before in alberta was um we had different health regions, right? And they had, mm -hmm. they had some autonomy. And so as a healthcare worker, you at least have the ability to go from one health region to another. If you didn't like your employer in one region, you could go to an employer in another region with a different um, environment, different leadership philosophy, different set of priorities and different management style. And, you know, there, there was some competition interprovincially to have a better healthcare a better region than the other one to attract healthcare workers to. Well, right now there's none of that, right? HS is just shitty right across the board. And no matter where you go as a healthcare worker, you're under the thumb of the same shitty management style and treated as, uh, as shit. So has Notley responded. Oh yeah. Notley. Uh, well, she's apparently going to have a, a comprehensive response, I think on Tuesday or something like that. But, um, these slides that, that I was showing you were leaked, uh, yesterday and she basically said same thing. Clemenga said is, well, this looks like it's going to increase red tape and it looks like it's going to give the provincial government more control over healthcare, uh, than it already has, which is a bad thing. We, what we want is the, you know, the healthcare experts, the bureaucrats, the scientists at the top of these organizations to manage, um, Healthcare. Well, yeah, I don't want the premier managing healthcare or the politicians, but I sure as shit don't want those scientists managing healthcare either, or those so-called experts that managed us through 
the pandemic. I mean, that was absolutely terrible. You know, at least uh, Daniel Smith has a philosophy that says um, government ought to be restrained and, and that, you know, it's probably immoral to impose our will on people, um, whereas health experts have no such calculation. They have no ethical, moral compunction about using force and destroying people's lives. They are simply looking at one thing and one thing alone. That is, how do I decrease viral load? Well, science says if we kill everyone, that'll decrease viral spread, right? And, I mean, that's essential. That's basically their logic taken to extremists. But yeah, we can shut down the economy. You know, do you, do you want anyone to die? No. Well, then you better put a mask over your face. You better take this jab and you better not leave your home and you better stay in your hermetically sealed matrix pod getting uh, propaganda shoved into your neocortex uh, by state approved media uh, and not, you know, and, and just be happy there. Otherwise, people will die. Well, yes, that may be true. But maybe we want to do more than just avoid a virus in life, right? Maybe we actually want to live. And so at least Daniel Smith understands that uh, life isn't just about avoiding a virus. It's about living. And and so I'd prefer, I guess, if she managed uh, these decisions rather than the healthcare experts. But but uh, I, I do worry, obviously, um, about putting more power in the hands of the premier if that is, in fact, what's happening here. So I guess time will tell. We'll have to see the details. But no doubt, folks, you're going to hear horror stories coming out from uh, the media, from the, you know, uh, UCP uh, enemies. And they're going to be all over the news and you're going to see it everywhere. Well, maybe... Well, you won't actually see it everywhere, Tim, because you can't share news stories on social media uh, in Canada, right? Thanks, right. Trudeau. If, if you watch the TV, if you watch the news, if you read a newspaper, you're going to see bad news everywhere about what Daniel Smith is doing to our healthcare system. But I'm, I'm a little sad that I'm going to miss out on like the forum, like the streams of commentary and, and fear mongering from the left. Well, go go to Twitter. <laughs> You'll find it there. <laughs> True. I yeah. kind of stay off Twitter, but yeah, yeah, you'll find it there. All right, let's let's move on. I thought there was an interesting, um, an interesting uh, moment in Parliament that I wanted to just talk about here. I'm going to play this, get your impression. Let's see here, share screen. This always makes me nervous. By the way, I'm always. Oh, like, what are we going to do now, Tim? Oh, this is. Okay, you might have seen this. Mr. Speaker, so I was I was sitting. Um, I'm a a liberal and a proud socialist, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, so I was I was sitting. Um, I'm a a liberal and a proud socialist, Mr. Speaker. There we have uh, Stephen Goulbold, the Minister of Environment and Climate Change, uh, saying he's uh, he's a liberal and a proud Socialist. Proud socialist. Yeah. Thoughts? <laughs> Who dressed him when he went to work <laughs> that day? Yeah. Uh, I, it looks like, I think it's one of the, the, maybe it's a hemp suit. You know, it looks like it was recycled from something. 
or I was thinking thrift store anyway, so recycled for sure. Um, I find that interesting. Like he really needed to make that statement publicly. Hey, just let's interrupt everything and say that. Well, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I'm just taking a better look at this suit here. Yeah. Very brown, very lifeless. Just, it, it's like dirt. You know, it reminds me of, I went to, I went to this joint, um, back when I was running in 2015, I went to, I was in the Maritimes and, uh, I was opposed to this bill C 51. It was invasion of privacy thing that Harper was trying to bring in. And, uh, Elizabeth may was on my side. And so was this liberal, um, candidate who, uh, who got booted from the liberal party for opposing bill C 51. Anyways, the Green Party was having this uh, rally and I was there to speak with Elizabeth May and stuff like that just to show solidarity on this one issue. And um, I saw a lot of browns and and I can almost smell it. It's, it smelled like soil and just um, compost. It was a, like it was kind of a pungent compost odor in that whole room, in that Green Party room. That's what I imagine he smells smells like there. He smells like compost. Riding um, to the Muskeg in springtime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyways, so so he he says out loud the quiet part out loud, and basically says I'm a I'm a socialist. Which kudos on his honesty. But I mean the fact that he could say that without any fear of that being a bad or, or reflecting negatively on him in any way among his constituents, I, f I found interesting. Like you would never see uh, a conservative party members stand up and say, uh, I'm a proud libertarian, right? No. Even though, even though as ac according to Ronald Reagan, uh, you know, the heart of conservatism is libertarianism. Um, ever since Reagan, no conservative has ever, has ever admitted to being a libertarian. There was even one conservative member of parliament in Edmonton who was wearing a t-shirt that said taxation is theft on an airplane. Mm -hmm. Okay. He's probably a libertarian. Uh, and he got outed for having this and he disavowed, you know, I was just wearing it as a joke and as a conversation yeah. starter and blah, blah, blah. No, dude, you're probably a libertarian. You probably actually believe taxation is theft, but you just don't want to lose your job. And, you know, you, but, and, and so this is one of the reasons why I believe conservatives are just progressives or socialists <laughs> driving the speed limit because they continually capit capitulate to the left. Like these guys uh, never disavow their radicals, right? The more radical, the radical Marxists and stuff like that, they, they're, brought embraced. in as speakers they're embraced they're they're never disavowed by the liberals by the left they're you know they may not sit in seats of power but certainly the intellectuals and and the the ideologues that are you know they're they're part of the pack while conservatives continually disavow libertarians i mean harper famously um disavowed libertarians at a manning conference basically did everything he could to kick them out of his, out of the conservative party um, after they helped him get, get leadership and all that, you know, 
but as soon as they're done with you, they they disavow it because libertarianism is seen as a, um, it, well, it's just bad mojo. You can't be associated with that. Um, and this is why they, they continually capitulate. Like they, they continually have to take the establishment centrist view and people on the left, like your Stephen Gilbo's, Gilbo or whatever his name is, he'll, he'll continually pull the center further and further left and the conservatives have to shift further and further left with them because no one will stand up in parliament and say, Mr. Speaker, I'm a proud libertarian and taxation is theft. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we ought to end it because they'd be get, they'd be worried that they'd get excoriated by the press that, uh, they would, that would be bad for them. Right. And so because they lack this courage, uh, and because I, I guess they have, some semblance of of shame that the left doesn't have the left ha it will shamelessly plug the most violent crazy ideologies um and so they continue to win what do you think well okay so this just from a normie yes okay please. having conversations because i've had conversations about being a libertarian and that type of thing with people and conservatives like normie conservatives are like you're a liberal and and they're and i'm like no libertarian right. totally different but because the words contain some of the same letters right. yes yeah it automatically is like oh you know like the devil just stepped into the room here and I don't know. I don't know how you over overcome that. So I think that that could be part of the reason just to dumb it right down. Why conservatives might be afraid to say they're a libertarian because wow. then normies would hear it as you're a liberal. And that's true. Of course, it cause problems. Well, and, and does that, you know, I, I don't want to be mean, but how do I put this? Maybe, maybe I'm just a pretentious, small words, Tim. maybe Use I'm a words. maybe I'm a pretentious prick here, but. <laughs> I, it, like, who was right in the pandemic? Who who was on the right side of that thing? It was it was not the midwits, okay? The midwits were on the wrong side. And by midwits, I mean the average intelligence people who think that science and blah blah blah, who praise the establishment, who just drink everything the establishment says. Those guys were in favor of everything establishment, just the average IQ. Um, but people that were on the right side of that were either <laughs> my perspective, high IQ people and low IQ people, dimwits and intelligent people. Okay. So <laughs> this is where me being pretentious comes in. Okay. I feel like I was against the pandemic for intelligent reasons, right? You don't violate, uh, people's autonomy. You don't, um, you know, there, you, you can't universalize these rules, like obviously if the the virus or the, the vaccine is either effective in which case my vaccine status doesn't matter or it's ineffective in which case your vaccine status doesn't matter right so i'm looking at things from first principles from a, you know but also on my side are dimwits who say the we can't take the vaccine because it's 5g and they're going to control us and blah 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 right I about that. Yeah. yeah yeah so no there there's all sorts of people and you know this this is a depopulation method even though <laughs> that makes absolutely no sense why would the elite want to want to 
leave only the most disagreeable people on the planet alive and kill all the people that are walking in lockstep with the establishment and kill those people. They want the most <laughs> rabble rousing, rooting, tooting. Anyways. So, but those were my people. Okay. I was on the side with the dimwits. They were on my side. They didn't want to kill me. They didn't want to control me. So those are my people. Right. And, and so, but those are the people when I go door to door also, and I tell them I'm a libertarian, I'm not a liberal. Fuck off. Right. God damn it. I just, I'm trying to help you help me to help you. Okay. Help me to help you. And, uh, so, so that's where, so that's where, so maybe what you hit on is, is a function of that, right? Because midwits will buy into socialism all day because it sounds intellectual and, um, you know, they're, Marx has this whole manifesto and, and they've, they've done some reading and, you know, and dimwits will discount it out of hand, just instinctually, like that's a bunch of hogwash and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they're intuitively right. Right. And me on the other, on the other side will disavow socialism because there's a price problem and um, you, you can't coordinate the means of production and uh, the definitions on this are wrong. And there's an epistemic fault here in your, reasoning right so i'm going through all this like highbrow reasons to dismiss it meanwhile the the dimwits are just dismissing it out of hand because i got a hog farm and blah 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 it's not gonna work uh um, cattle ranch but whatever cattle, ranch, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, cattle ranchers are a little higher iq but um <laughs> anyways I, i'm trying to remember where i was going with it. but yeah so so my point is that midwits tend to con con constitute these kind of leftist progressive, you know, because look, all the late show people, your Bill Mars, your, your Stephen Colbert's, you know, they kind of have a bit of a, they have this midwit humor, right? You have to have a certain level of uh, intelligence and, and a certain uh, attitudinal disposition of openness to, to laugh at, at their stuff and find their stuff funny. A lot of people like, just hard-nosed, um, reality-based people who, you know, do blue-collar work for a living, let's say, live in rural areas, don't have any time for those shows uh, because they just... They don't stay up that late. They don't, A, they don't stay up that late. And they, they don't really get the humor to begin with, right? Uh, but so so that mid-wittery mid or that mid-wit kind of elitist mentality is what constitutes the liberal party. And so they, they'll be like, Hmm, yes, Stephen Goldberry is a socialist. Very good. Very good. Uh, I, I, I'm very sympathetic towards socialism. Whereas if a conservative, like you said, stood up and said that they, they'd be, their constituents would, would disavow them because they're liberals. Right. <laughs> because, and maybe that's just a function of, of IQ. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're onto something, Lisa. I don't, I just know that I've had conversations or tried to engage in conversations with, with what's going on. And as soon as, well, which way do you vote? Well, libertarian, then it's like, you're a liberal and we can't, why would we even talk to you anymore right. about this? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, you realize there's a very big difference, but yeah. how do you explain that to, to normies? It's, it's tough. It's tough. And that, that's part of the problem we face, right? It's like, you know, part of the temptation is to simplify everything down for this, um, 
Twitter or not Twitter, TikTok generation that can't focus on more than six second sound bites and bumper stickers and memes. Um, and, and so you want to dumb everything down, but at the same time, you realize that that's part of the problem is that everyone is dumbing everything down to the lowest common denominator into these two binary choices of left and right that are both fucking idiotic and you, you can't have a thoughtful principled nuanced view on things because if you do you'll be uh no one will listen to you no one will <laughs> create you so mm -hmm. yeah so I, that is a real real issue but and your slogans aren't catchy and then you're just hated on all sides if we right. wanted to talk about many of the ways that the left hates the right and the right hates the left and anybody who tries to ask a question gets shouted down for being hateful well yeah i mean that and i mean that's largely driven too by social media algorithms which um you know kind of foment uh outrage and anger and you know like if, if you want to write an article or or do a video i mean if i want this video to get lots of views i i need to write something clickbaity um and often people people oftentimes people won't go past the clickbait headlines like uh um you know tim moe destroys socialism or something like that Oh, yeah, I was brother. thinking you could call it proud to be a liberal and you'd get a lot of clicks. Yeah, proud, proud to be a liberal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I was actually going to name it proud to be a libertarian, but uh, we'll see. That, that's not going to get very many clicks. So, so what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Okay. So there we go. Uh, Stephen. And now, by the way, Stephen Gilbo, our uh, Minister of Environment and Climate, he's heading to uh, Dubai or Abu Dhabi, one of the, I think it's Dubai, for uh, climate summit. And his job, he is tasked with the difficult job of getting all the other countries to drop their CO2 emissions on target with uh, the 2030 emissions uh, standard that'll keep us below a, a degree and a half centigrade of warming or something like that. Canada right now is like, I, I listened to, um, the news this morning, it said we're like still over double the target of the, the Paris Accord or whatever mm -hmm. that that's going to keep us under one half. The, the problem is, of course, that Canada is only like one percent of world emissions or maybe even less. So even if we meet those emission standards, it's not going <laughs> to we're still going to hit the warming that they're predicting. Right. So so now, Stephen, in his. Uh, compost smelling brown suit is going to have to go over to Dubai and convince the rest of the world, uh, the developing countries like India and China. Hey guys, uh, stop, uh, stop using so much energy. Could you just decrease your standard of living back to squalor and poverty? Um, <laughs> that, most that would be really good. Brilliant. And this guy, and guys, let me just show you a picture of this guy again. Cause I mean, uh, where is he now? Where's Steve? Oh yeah, there we go. Yeah, this this guy. This is the guy that's going to convince the rest of the world to drop climate emissions. I'm confident. Are you? Are you? <laughs> What's he going to say? Smell, smell that compost. It smells natural. It smells natural. Right. 
mean, you know. put on my patchouli I mean, you can, essential you can oils. Feel, yeah, but you, you can smell like me. You can look like me. Tim, where'd you go? Oh, I don't know what I did. <laughs> That's it. You were just I thought you were gonna come back dressed like our buddy Steve. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's move on from Steve. I don't think Steve's gonna have much success convincing the rest of the world to live in squalor and poverty. Um okay, the next thing I wanted to to talk about, actually. Um oh, oh shit. I, I I hold on, I'm gonna pause the recording. I still think you should have came back dressed like Steve. I should have. I should have. Okay, I had to pause because I had to find this this clip uh, that I wanted to talk about. And this is uh, Tucker Carlson, a segment from Tucker Carlson's show where um, apparently uh, someone who worked in the medical examiner's office when uh, where George Floyd was autopsy um, is going through a court case or suing the, the Emmy's office for some reason or another. And Tucker Carlson had this to say about uh, some of the information that's coming out of that. So let me just put this on. Get your thoughts here. Significantly, they also sent a cop called Derek Chauvin to prison for more than 40 years. He would be the racist white devil who murdered George Floyd. But the question is, did he actually murder George Floyd? And the answer is, well, no, he didn't murder George Floyd. And we're not guessing about that. We know it conclusively thanks to a new court case now underway in Hennepin County, Minnesota. The case was brought by a prosecutor there called Amy Sweezy. She's suing her boss. So the case is not actually about George Floyd or Derek Chauvin, but it tells you an awful lot about both of them. In her deposition, which you should read, Amy Sweezy describes a conversation that she had with the county medical examiner, Andrew Baker, right after George Floyd died. Quote, I called Dr. Baker early that morning to tell him about the case and to ask him if he would perform the autopsy on Mr. Floyd. Please, he recalls all this under oath in the deposition. Quote, he called me later in the day on that Tuesday, and he told me that there were no medical findings that showed any injury to the vital structures of Mr. Floyd's neck. There were no medical indications of asphyxia or strangulation. Oh. In other words, George Floyd, according to the official autopsy, was not murdered. He died instead of what we used to call natural causes, which in his case would include decades of drug use, as well as the fatal concentration of fentanyl that was in his system on his final day. So this was not a killing. It was yet another narcotics OD in a country that courts more than 100,000 of them every year. The medical examiner clearly understood that and in fact articulated it. And Sweezy explains. He said to me, she recalls in the deposition, Amy, what happens when the actual evidence doesn't match up with the public narrative that everyone's already decided on? And then he said, quote, this is the kind of case that ends careers. In other words, everyone lied about it from the very beginning. The people who knew the truth hid the truth and allowed the revolution to proceed. Now they've been exposed. All right. Um, what are your thoughts when you... Uh... When you see that? <clears throat> well, that's very interesting. But 
So I'm one of those people, I'm like, I have to be watching it and I'd have to watch it again to be really clear on what it is. So the medical examiner said that there was no sign of asphyxiation or anything like that. Where does the fentanyl overdose come in? Like, where is that in the findings? Or is there no actual anything? Yeah. Okay. So so I'll, 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 that's okay. I'll tell you my take on this. This is being trotted out as kind of a slam dunk, uh, that, um, that Chauvin, this officer didn't cause George Floyd's death. Okay. I don't see it that way. Um, I, I still think that Chauvin is caused his death or at least contributed to it. Put it this way. Had Chauvin not done what he did, uh, I don't believe George Floyd would have died. All right. Now let's, let's examine the, um, let's examine what, what the ME is purported to say here. Um, okay. If there were, that there were no medical findings that showed any, any injury to the vital structures of Mr. Floyd's neck, there were no medical indications of asphyxia or strangulation. Okay. So he didn't see any, uh, trauma to the neck. He didn't see any, uh, let's say petechia around the eyes, which would mm-hmm. be indicate indication of strangulation. Uh, I I've read the autopsy front to back. Um, and a lot of people will claim that he died of, of a fentanyl overdose because in the autopsy, you will find that he had fentanyl in his system. He had, uh, a, a fairly high level of fentanyl in his system. Um, the autopsy also showed that he had um, uh, cardiac disease. He, he had like occlusion to multiple narrowing uh, and and uh, occlusions to multiple coronary arteries. So his heart was not healthy, um, and and so he had those two things working against him. Um, there now. I don't buy that he died of a fentanyl overdose and I'll tell you why I've seen, I deal with fentanyl overdoses on a daily basis. I know how they happen. I see how they happen. Uh, Insured park, right? Not when your ambulance (laughs) is sent to Edmonton, right? Yeah. 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 Insured park in the bougie shirt park. No, it's definitely (laughs) downtown Edmonton where I see these. Um, In fact, I had a a kid the the other day, OD on fentanyl and this is how it happens. It, uh, you take the fentanyl and within seconds to minutes, and in fact, I've seen this happen right in front of me. I've seen someone, uh, I, I've literally resuscitating someone with Narcan, uh, who's unconscious trying to get them to breathe again. And I saw someone about to shoot up and I'm like, Hey, that's about, that's a strong batch. You're, you're, we're going to be doing the same thing to you in a second. And she was like, I don't care. And she pushed it. And in under a minute, she was unconscious and not breathing. Okay. That's how fast it happens. It happens within seconds and minutes that fentanyl hits you. It knocks you unconscious. And the way you die of a narcotics or an opiate overdose is, is not that the the substance is toxic and it poisons you. It's that it makes you unconscious. And then shortly after you stop breathing, it's basically like your bot, your brain forgets to breathe. It's so sedated that it it doesn't breathe. And, and so that's how it goes. So it's within minutes. Now, I, I don't believe like if, if you look at the timeline of what happened with George Floyd, um, he was, the cops were called because he was acting intoxicated. In other words, he was high at a, uh, at a convenience store 
trying to pass off, I think, a counterfeit bill or something like that. And 30 minutes later, Chauvin is kneeling on his back and Floyd dies. So that he he had taken the fentanyl, obviously, before the police were called. And then he died, stopped breathing 30 minutes later. That doesn't happen in a fentanyl overdose, okay? You don't die 30 minutes later. If you're going to die of the fentanyl overdose, you die within minutes. You stop breathing within minutes or you don't stop breathing at all and you, you continue on, right? So I don't buy that it was a fentanyl overdose. Now, the fentanyl probably made him weaker for sure. It made him um, have less respiratory drive than he otherwise would have, like a normal healthy male that didn't have uh, coronary artery disease, that, that didn't have fentanyl in his system, wouldn't have died had Chauvin kneeled on him. But Floyd did because he had fentanyl and because he had a weak heart. So uh, it was a combination of the weak heart, the fentanyl, and the fact that his breathing was restricted. He had an officer laying fully on his uh, back, uh, restricting his ability to inhale. And that's, you know, that's what caused him to stop breathing and to go unconscious. So nothing that this... Um, that's been revealed by this prosecutor in this thing it would cause me to think otherwise. Now, these there there are these um, reported statements by the the ME right that there's no medical findings to show any injury. So how then would an ME come up with a cause of death based on the fact that okay I can't see anything in the autopsy that I can pinpoint on a, on a, as a cause of death. Uh, his coronary artery disease could have been a cause of death. The fentanyl could have been a cause of death, uh, but it's very unlikely because um, he would have had to have taken the fentanyl, uh, you know, within minutes of stopping breathing. And we know that he took the fentanyl. With the officer on his back. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it, so, so now you're left as a medical professional who understands how fentanyl overdoses work, who understands how heart attacks work myocardial infarctions work and you're looking at that going okay um you know there's there's no sign of like if it was a myocardial infarction uh you likely would have seen um a, a dead area of the heart ischemia or infarct right but he didn't see that on autopsy all he saw was this coronary artery disease which meant that his heart was weak it's more likely not going to take a strain as a healthy heart right so, so it wasn't a myocardial infarction or a heart attack, um, and it wasn't a fentanyl overdose. What else could it be, given that there's no signs of like strangulation? Right? He wasn't he wasn't actively strangled and and struggling to breathe past the strangulation, which would cause petechial hemorrhage in the eyes. Um, what what do you what would you call it? Well, this medical examiner on the front page called it. Um, uh, homicide by neck compression. He thinks it was a compressed neck, uh, maybe the positioning of the airway. I might disagree. I don't know if it was the compressed neck so much as a compressed thorax that, that you know, in his weakened state caused it. But at, at any rate, um, that's what you would put on the, on the autopsy because it's the only thing that makes any sense given the evidence. There's no, you know, if 
he had died within minutes of, if he stopped breathing within minutes of taking the fentanyl, then we could say, okay, it's a, it was the fentanyl. Uh, but it wasn't that. And by the way, um, just because you, your breathing stops, like it, it takes time, right? You, you go unconscious, you stop breathing. And then maybe minutes later you go into cardiac arrest. You don't go into immediate cardiac arrest, mm -hmm. right? You don't go unconscious, stop breathing and go into immediate cardiac arrest with fentanyl. So that's another reason. So let's say what else he said. He said to me, Amy, what happens when the actual evidence doesn't match up with the public narrative that everyone, everyone's already decided on? Well, yeah, I imagine what this Emmy was hoping for was an obvious cause of death, right? And it would have been an open and shut case had he found like a ligature mark around his neck or petechial hemorrhage or something that showed this guy was obviously strangled and asphyxiated by Chauvin, but he didn't see that. So now he's left with trying to figure out, well, what's the most likely explanation for how this guy died? And it was, well, a knee on the back, knee on the neck, right? That that was the most likely explanation. Um, and, you know, now should Chauvin have gotten, I think he got charged with second degree murder or something like that. And he's serving a huge sentence. Um, I think that's, that was definitely political overkill. It was a politically driven motive, politically driven charge. I could see manslaughter or something like that. Um, there, there's this maxim in common law, um, self-defense maxim that it's called the, uh, what is it called? The eggshell skull, uh, defense or something like that right so it's it's basically the the person's fragile state does not um does not negate a, a manslaughter or something like that so if you're defending yourself or it, you're using force and you kill someone because they're fragile because they're unusually fragile that's not a defense against manslaughter that's not a defense against killing so I think Chauvin was probably guilty of manslaughter. Um, you know, he probably when like when George Floyd started stops struggling when he was, but, but then again, maybe not. Maybe he used reasonable force there. I don't know. He definitely shouldn't be serving time. I don't believe for for second degree murder, but um, he definitely did cause the death of Flo George Floyd. Maybe he's guilty of manslaughter and should should serve a bit of time, but. Um, yeah, not second degree murder, but also Floyd didn't die of a drug overdose or uh, a heart attack, or in my opinion, based on my experience. And I think the medical examiner agree with me. And I don't see anything in these revelations from Tucker that would make uh, make me think otherwise. Those are those are just things that someone's going to say. I mean, you would say you would be worried about what it would look like to the public when you're like not finding any open and shut case. So I could see why mm -hmm. he would say that. And this lady that is reporting is, is a filthy prosecutor. I mean, these, these are lawyers who um, are going to take things out of context and, and try to win their case. Right. So, so I don't buy the prosecutor's um, story so much, but anyways, any more thoughts on that one? No, but thank you for explaining it in such great detail, Tim. Well, my pleasure. My pleasure. I'm I'm happy to explain things all day long. Hey, guys out there listening, if you want me to explain things to you, just ask. I, I can explain anything to you. And it all comes back to the government and how the government sucks. Okay? I can link anything to the government.
And taxation theft. And taxation theft. All right. The last thing I wanted to cover with you is, uh, let's see. How do I get this up here? Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but Steven Crowder managed to get, um, remember that Nashville shooter? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and there was, um, it was, she was a transgender female. No, transgender male. It was a fee. It was a biological female, transgender male. Yeah. Uh, shot up this Christian school, killed a bunch of kids and had a manifesto that we haven't seen yet. Well, uh, Steven Crowder got a hold of this somehow. He had a source. And um, we we're all wondering, well, why aren't they sharing the manifesto? What are they holding back? I mean, if have, this had been a right-wing shooter, we always see the manifesto that mm-hmm. outlines their loony right-wing ideas and incel ideas about why they should shoot up the school. So why aren't we seeing this one? And everyone theorized, well, it was because it's a left-wing manifesto and no one wants to you know, and, and, and they, 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 by the way, they, um, they counted the shooter as one of the, the victims in the media, right? So this shooter was being portrayed as a victim in the media and their manifesto was being kept. So you could see the media bias here, right? So let's see what this actual, what this thing actually says. All right, let's see if I can, I don't know if I can zoom in here. Um, today's the day, the day's finally come. I can't believe it's here. Don't know how I was able to, to get this far, but here I am. I'm a little nervous, but excited to, been excited for the past two weeks. There were several times I could have uh, been caught, especially back in the summer of 2021. None of that matters now. I'm most, I'm at most an hour and seven minutes away. Can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm ready. I hope my victims aren't. My only fear is that anything goes wrong. I hope to have a, it's going to be quick. I hope to have a high death count, ready to die. Ha ha. Uh, Kill those kids, those crackers. Going to private fancy schools with those fancy khakis and sports backpacks. Um, with their daddy's Mustangs and convertibles. Fuck you, little shits. I wish to shoot you. Um, blah, blah, blah. Dicks in the in your mop yellow hair. Want to kill all you crackers. Bunch of little faggots with your white privilege. Fuck you, faggots. And it goes on and on like that. He's got his whole agenda laid out there. Um, but very clearly, um, you know, again... Anyone who shoots up a school is mentally unhinged, whether they have a right-wing manifesto or a left-wing manifesto. Uh, I just think it's interesting that they kept this out of the out of the media. I mean, here we have someone who is who feels aggrieved by white privilege, who feels uh, who uh, hates um, you know kids that are more well off than they are, uh, and of course that is a that's part of the DNA of the left, right? You can't criticize that stuff. Cause I mean that, that stuff. So, so we have to hide that away because we don't want that, uh, those kind of grievances associated with this kind of violence. Um, what, what are your thoughts when you hear and see what's in the manifesto there? Well, now I like, now I'm like, boy, I, I want to read more articles. 
all this stuff. See, this is what happens because you put me on, I'm on the surprise for all of this. Right. But you'd think it would be celebrated more by certain. You'd think the left parties. would celebrate this? Well, why not? They. Yeah, that's fair. Maybe they would. Themselves, you know, maybe not to that extreme or whatever, but. Yeah, I mean, you 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 certainly see. It, it seems like the left, for example, there there's a certain element in the left that celebrates um, the Hamas attacks, right? Who are happy that babies and Jewish Jewish babies and and women and children and and old people were killed, um, and see that as as a plus. You'd think people like that would be happy when these privileged cis white christian kids were killed um but maybe they they recognize that 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 would be socially popular they they went a little too far there if they were too yeah yeah for sure yeah uh what's the world coming to i i mean one of the things that it makes me think of too is just how much uh, loneliness and isolation there is, right? I mean, obviously, this shooter was was mentally unbalanced, was had a lot of hate and resentment in them. They were alone. They felt different. They felt um, cut off, and 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 then they didn't belong somewhere else, right? Right, because if they were fully embraced in community elsewhere, then the focus wouldn't necessarily be on. Yeah. Other community either, right? Uh, well, abso- absolutely. Well, it, it was. You're right. It, it was not a an internal for focus. It was an external focus, right? And a lot of people who are in this circumstance, if they have proper environment around them, proper mentors, they'll say, "Yeah, you're you're miserable. You you have no competence. You're you're like you, you can't provide any value to anyone." But guess what? I was once there too, and you can get out of that. You can, you can make yourself useful. You can start by, you know, here's what I did to become more useful and to be feel good about myself and to have more connection and blah blah blah. Well, these people clearly don't have that around them. Instead, what they have around them is uh, a victim mentality, industrial complex. Let's say, right? They have people that benefit from a world that embraces a victim mentality that says no you're not the problem um those you know, guys are the problem. It, it, it's the whole rest of the world needs to change obviously or your life is always going to be shit you know you're never and we see this everywhere we see it i mean it's easy to point the stuff out on the left right we see it when in the the race baiters right the people who say look the reason you as an indigenous person can't succeed is because of structural racism because of this because of that because of you know, all those things are bad things um, and they all have to change before you're ever going to be successful is the message, right? And so help us change this. Well, you've just told a person, you've, you've, you've done the opposite of help someone. You've basically locked them into uh, a, a pattern of helplessness and, and um, hopelessness, right? There's no hope. Because I can see the system isn't changing. I can see none of these, the, the environment around me isn't getting any better. And so what what are you left to do when you're full of resentment, isolation, and hopelessness, but 
go out in a blaze of glory and nihilism and shoot up a bunch of things, right? Then we, we see the same pattern on the right. Um, you know, right wing people don't like to to talk about it or point it out, but uh, look, these people who are incels, right, involuntarily celibate. Have you heard of this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for example, the the guy in Toronto who mowed down a bunch of people with his van, right? Uh, he he identified as an incel, um, or these people who shoot up mosques, for example, right? The common denominator they have with this left-wing lunatic is that they see themselves as victims. They see no uh, no way that they can improve their lot in life. Um, everything is the fault of external forces, um, things that they can't control. And so they, they delve into nihilism, into uh, cynicism, into hopelessness, and isolation and they're they surround themselves with people that that um encourage their victim mentality right and i i often wonder about this myself like as a libertarian who's constantly criticizing the external environment criticizing the government what uh what message am i sending there is there a message of hope is there a message of um like steps you can take forward to improve your life, get more liberty, get more freedom, despite what the government's doing. And I think about that quite a bit um, because actually early in my political career, I had something horrific happen that made me really think about the words I was saying there, there, the, um, do you remember the, the, what is it? Monkville, uh, Nova Scotia. There was a guy who, shot like i think three police officers shot and killed three police officers i'm trying to remember is it moncton new brunswick yeah moncton new brunswick uh this was back in i think 2014 or something like that i was running in a by-election i had all these memes out there i had one this one meme that said i saw a movie once where only the cops and military had firearms it was called schindler's list and um and uh, this killer had my meme with my face on it on his Facebook profile. And mm. so immediately the media was pointing to me, is libertarianism promoting terrorism in this country? Is it, you know, and holy fuck, that was a holy fuck moment for me. You know, after I got over the initial panic of having everyone point to me as the cause of this, yeah. the, these cop killings, I, I took a sober second look and thought, is there a way in which I am contributing to uh, the energy feeding this hopelessness that this guy must have been feeling or contributing to um, the idea that what needs to change is this all needs to go away before I can have liberty and freedom, right? And um, that stuck with me. And I often find myself thinking about that when and be, because there's so many grifters out there that put out a constantly negative message. If they're not, they have to constantly be fighting the system, constantly fighting um, whatever. They're freedom fighter, freedom fighting patriots, right? And I appreciate them to on one extent, but I also worry about that, that there is a lot of grift that goes on in that community as well. You know, if you want to increase your your following and increase your channel, you have to have a list of grievances and continually explain to people why they're victims of a of a horrible system and why how they need to get involved in your cause and, and maybe give you a little bit of money 
to fix this huge problem. Well, when, when your means of getting money and getting prestige in a particular environment are all about painting um, your followers as victims and, and who are helpless against this tyrannical force out there, I worry, you know, Lisa, am I contributing in some way? Am I, you know, we see it on both sides, right? It, it's just that there's a victim industrial complex. Social media sets it up that way in a lot of ways. And it, it rewards the grifters that peddle victim mentality. And I might be one of those peddlers. That's what I worry about sometimes. But do you feel that your message is always that way? Because we did a no, podcast no. six weeks ago or, or whatever, where it wasn't based on on that. It was on personal responsibility and integrity and taking the steps to better yourself. Yes. No, no, you're right. You're right. But that's a conscious effort. And I have to fight every day the the cynicism I have towards um, towards the external world and dragging people down with me into that cynicism. And so, um, you know what? We'll leave it there because this is going to segue nicely into the next show I want to have with you, Lisa, which is to talk about this book I'm reading and some of the ideas it's percolating in me. It's called the network state, and it's all about creating nations, stateless nations through networks. And that's actually something positive you can build towards. And essentially, it makes um, it, it's cr- focusing so much on something positive that it makes the current state irrelevant to your life. And it might just wither and die because of the focus on something positive. So I want to talk more about this on on the next episode, guys. Um, make sure you hit subscribe. Make sure you uh, you follow me on all the social medias. Um, you can see a bunch of my links below. Uh, follow my Substack, and and you'll get uh, uh, newsletters and different things like that, and and updates about what's going on. But you're going to want to tune into the next episode because my brain's been on fire about this subject, and um, I can't believe I didn't talk about it today, actually. I want to read a bit more about it before I, before I talk to you next. I, I, you know what? I, I delved into all the darkest shit today, Nisa. You know, yeah. again, just like I, I did the very thing that I'm now, you know, don't don't shoot up any schools, please, listeners. Don't don't yeah. don't become a nihilist. Yeah. Yeah. Don't let me give send you off a hopeless spire of cynicism and nihilism. There's hope at the end of the tunnel, but you got to stay tuned because it's coming next week. So stay tuned for the hope.